माय नेम इज कुंतल जॉयशर आय एम अ माउंटेनियर sir so glad to meet you again uh, i still remember our last panel discussion and we had a long conversation about climate crisis and a lot of those topics and i thoroughly enjoyed a lot of your insights uh, during that conversation and really happy that you have invited me again uh, to come on uh, your show and i'm so glad to be talking to you once again kuntal Th- thank you so much sir thank you so much uh, so so i i wanted to kind of recount uh, kind of where i started my journey from so i've been now a vegan for the last 20 years but at some point in october of 2010 i discovered the biggest dream of my life which was climbing mount everest and i still remember announcing it to my friends and family in the mountaineering community that i'm going to climb everest as a vegan because of course naturally i was a vegan and i remember an instant pushback from the mountaineering community that no vegan has ever climbed everest before that you need meat that you need dairy that you need cheese that you need all these things to kind of build stamina and to even sustain on the top of mount everest and i kind of remember like why are they saying those things and i promised myself that day that i am going to climb everest as a vegan or i'm not going to do it at all and then i went on the journey of last decade or so and i have now ended up climbing everest two times one from the south side which is the nepal side and one even from the chinese side which is the northern side and uh, how many how many people have uh, managed this kind of feat so far so there are i think in in my research there are three indian civilians out of which i am one of them who have reached the top of everest from both sides there are many indians who have climbed everest from just the south side but there are only three who have climbed it from both the sides and if i have to kind of build a list of top 100 things that were some of my biggest challenges on the everest journey i can assure you that veganism was not even the 101st challenge on that journey yet when people kind of know me or people meet me hey you're the first vegan in the world to climb everest or he climbed everest even though he was a vegan or despite of his veganism or so many of these things as if veganism is kind of a handicap and i always look back upon my journey very surprised that why are these people kind of thinking that veganism is a handicap i never felt it was a handicap i didn't even have to actually bother working around veganism to kind of go climb everest it was it just came naturally and to kind of give you a background it's not like i'm some mountaineer or i come from a mountaineering family i come from a gujarati business family so it's not like i have any genetic gift of climbing mountains it, in my mind it was never a handicap but yet till date I have people in my Instagram DMs people all the time asking me Kuntal where do you get your protein from Kuntal how are you building this strength it's just mind boggling to me that they see so, this is a handicap so there is the perception that when it comes to mountaineering veganism is a handicap then there is a rebuttal that no being vegan is not a handicap can i extend it to say that being vegan is actually an asset or an advantage when it comes to physically taxing adventures i i definitely agree with that would you would you honestly say and and strongly that uh, 
being a vegan actually helped you climb the Everest twice? Did vegan actually help me mm-hmm. climb Everest twice? Uh, I'm going to kind of ask this question myself as if I was a vegetarian, would I have still climbed Everest? Mm-hmm. I would have still climbed Everest. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, that is there. But as a vegan, I do think there were two points that definitely helped me climb Everest probably a little better than others. Hmm. And in short, a couple of points were number one, my recovery was far superior than my co-climbers who were potentially eating animal products. Hmm. And uh, of course, plant-based products have been shown to help recover better. So that was completely in my advantage. Mm. It's not like you are a vegetarian or a non-vegetarian and you can't still eat plant-based products. You mm. could still eat them and mm. get the same amount of recovery. Right. But I thought that was one little bit of advantage. Right. But I think second one, which I feel was more from a mental aspect from my side was, I felt that I could go to sleep with a clear conscience that mm. Mm. I was not harming anyone for my dream. And that I felt was giving me a mental edge. Maybe it was just within my context, maybe not over others, but that allowed me that mental edge that allowed, gave me a sense of purpose as I was climbing and kind of going towards my goals. Those two things I feel gave me a lot of edge. Would I have had this edge if I was a vegetarian? I don't know. I, I it's difficult to compare. Probably a, a good insightful question to consider would be, would our dreams remain the same if we are violent and inconsiderate and cruel? So you wanted to do something, being a vegan. The question we would think of is, had you not been a vegan, would you have wanted to do the same thing? And that's a broader question applied to everybody. Right. Is it just... Uh, is it just an ideology or a dietary choice or just a way to behave a kind of culture or is it something at the very being very core of the person does it help you achieve your dreams that's one question does it help you have better dreams that's another question Uh, I think probably it does help you have better dreams hmm? because uh, the quality of the dream matters. Uh, One could have a very conditioned, distorted and uh, ugly kind of a dream and achieve it using all kinds of uh, methods possible. What's the value of that achievement? On the other hand, if if I am a person with, as you said, a clear conscience, won't I have a different dream altogether? Or, to put it uh, a bit differently, won't I dedicate my dream to a greater purpose? For example, I know uh, well that uh, your uh, fame from your expeditions has been useful towards furthering the vegan cause. In some sense, you have devoted, surrendered the product of your dream, the output of your dream, the output of your success to a great cause. 
and I cannot help uh, thinking of uh, Krishna's Nishkam Karma at this point where he says the right action is only the one that is devoted to the right cause. If you act just to consume the fruit of the action, uh, it's not much and it means nothing. If the fruit of your action is devoted to a higher cause, uh, that's what wisdom is, that, that's what makes you a real man. So, yeah. Interestingly, when you became vegan, at that time I had hardly even heard the term. So, 22 years? 20 years. 20 years. 20 20 years. years. Late 2002. Late 2002. I was in campus then. I'm not sure I I had known the term even. And even if I had known the term. I'm relatively a recent vegan. Just 8 or 9 years. So, it's very remarkable that uh, you could, uh, you, you chose to do it at that time and that poses a question to all those who are uh, watching us if it could be done so successfully so meaningfully and so courageously at that time what stops people from doing what is obviously right uh, today because today the not only the importance, but the very centrality of veganism has been factually established beyond doubt. Twenty years back, it might not have been the case. Not so much literature was available. Internet was not so rich, so flush with data and observations. We didn't have so many vegan success stories. Today we have all of that. Then how do people still manage to evade uh, doing the right thing? It's, it's a very interesting question. What arguments do people have in favor of uh, continuously, brutally exploiting animals? What argument can you have? Right. I mean, w- one of the most common arguments that I constantly keep hearing, at least in the Indian context, is that Krishna has said that you can drink milk. and. <laughs> The, the 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 gods have said that you can do it like people use uh, milk on top of uh, the the statues and all of those things and they say that milk can easily be so i'm not talking about the meat consumption a lot of them are okay we do, will not consume meat but we'll still continue consuming milk even though they know what is happening in the dairy industry and and how cruel it is so i also wanted to get your sense of since you come from a spiritual uh, mind, like background and, and, and this is what what your expertise is, what, 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 what are your thoughts around this? See, first thing is you do not even need to be spiritual to ask a basic question. What happens to the cattle, hmm? the female mammal, the cow, the buffalo, the goat? Once it stops yielding milk, is that not a very basic commonsensical question to ask? Just as the human female lives for around 80 years 
but is able to bear kids only for around half that duration right women cannot uh, usually conceive beyond the age of 40 or 45 so that's approximately half of their lifetime the same thing approximately the same thing applies to all mammal species right so the cow or the buffalo would stop yielding milk at the age of 6 to 8 maximum 9 Right. usually 7 or 8 and it continues to live for another 6 to 8 years that's the biological rule that's how it happens now what happens to to that uh, animal once it is not useful to the farmer what what happens to it what do we think i mean it's a, it's a, and why shouldn't we ask that obvious question right Uh, while holding our glass of milk right today the buffalo is yielding this milk tomorrow she won't right what happens to her then so when as you said people say we don't consume meat but we take milk it's a it's a simple straightforward thing to ask is not milk a clear precursor to meat meat the same animal that was used for milk today is slaughtered tomorrow because it is of no use to the dairy farmer once it cannot give milk right right hmm? so so it goes to the slaughterhouse the the farmer cannot economically keep the animal with himself even if he wants to right as a farmer what will i do with an animal that is of no use and the animal weighs some 400 600 kilograms it eats a lot right how will i justify the economics if i keep feeding the animal without getting anything from it so what do i do the day i discover that uh, the animal cannot uh, yield any more milk i sell it uh, to the slaughterhouse so that's how india becomes such a huge meat producing and uh, exporting country not so much a huge meat consuming country but still a huge meat exporting country and again the connection is so obvious is it not we export so much because we don't consume much consume. see the cattle are there why because we consume milk now because we consume milk therefore the cattle are artificially produced and raised let it be very clear that the cows and buffaloes that we see are not products of natural organic breeding or, or reproduction right hmm? it's not as if uh, a cow and a bull just happen to meet and mate that's not how it is happening uh, i don't know how we can afford to remain so ignorant about the basics the cow is in 99% cases the cow the buffalo and all milk yielding animals the cow is in 99% cases artificially inseminated because the farmer has to justify the economics the farmer cannot wait for the cow to happily one day when she is in the mood to get pregnant <laughs> so and that artificial insemination is one hell of an indignified 
humiliating thing to treat a conscious female that way is horrifying and you talked about the peter undercover videos there are a lot of videos today i suppose thousands thousands, thousands where you would be able to see how a buffalo or a cow is inseminated and once you see that i'm not sure whether you would feel more saddened or more ashamed hmm? so i saw a few of them and then i stopped watching couldn't bear it and those were not slaughter videos mind you just insemination, insemination. just insemination but again that insemination is just just so devoid of dignity it's just simply shameful and we do that to the cow that is respected so much in this country the holy cow the holy cow and we still we uh, do this kind of a thing to the cow so so that's the first thing now coming to the aspect that uh, shri krishna uh, used to drink milk see with all honesty and great bliss i think i can loudly say i love shri krishna like very few people do i'm totally enthralled by his gita gita is extremely close to my heart i teach gita i teach several other scriptures as well but gita is just special magnum opus so now that's the message of shri krishna and that is what is supposed to be eternal you see let's say let's say you huh, with your great intentions and a clean heart become somebody who is admired respected loved and you live for 80 years and obviously then you go 300 years down the line after your death what am i supposed to remember about you the fact that you kept a beard the <laughs> fact that you wore a cap is that what i am supposed to remember about you or the fact that you had something very timeless to say Hmm? Right. this pair of jeans this this t-shirt that watch i mean the the chair you are using uh, this technology we are using all these are products of time they will get outdated they mean nothing right right they mean nothing right right today we we eat um, flat bread right flat bread right roti right is it uh, necessary that 300 years later people would still enjoy the same kind of geometrical formation made out of the same kind of grains <laughs> no. right right the, the roti is actually a cylinder with very little height <laughs> hmm? and there's nothing special about the geometry of a cylinder compared to the geometry of a triangle or a cone or anything else right or it could be spherical who knows right. so what should i remember kuntal as a roti lover 
is 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 the is the flat bread the central message of kuntal no or is it something that he used to have because that was the culture of his times right he was an indian right, right. he was an indian he was a gujarati and being a gujarati obviously you would be having very very gujarati preferences in many ways right right um dhokla I, i'm not sure do you like that <laughs> dhokla thepla <laughs> dhokla thepla so does the dhokla become a marker of enlightenment no no 300 years later when i want to remember and celebrate kuntal i start consuming dhokla <laughs> <laughs> yeah so today is international kuntal day and how do we mark and celebrate it by having copious amounts of dhokla sir he was born in gujarat what else can he have what else can he have right, right. similarly the right. eternal message of shri krishna is the shrimad bhagavad gita right all else is just time bound stuff right right <laughs> all else is simply time bound stuff and most of that time bound stuff comes more than a thousand years after shrimad bhagavad gita Shrimad Bhagavad Gita is 500 to 800 years before the Christ, and all the lore, the legend, the stories about Sri Krishna, they come 400 to 800 years after the Christ. Wow! So we don't even know if a lot of them are true. Yes. So it could also be. There is really no. factual connection between the shri krishna we find in the great bhagavad gita and the shri krishna we find in the puranic stories later they are spaced thousand years apart and yet we choose to remember the stories rather than the philosophy the message the truth and if you want to follow all aspects of krishna's behavior and his personal choices then why don't you wear the same dress that he did right why don't you speak the same language he did why don't you have the same kind of relationships that he had i invite them to raise the entire mountain on their little finger, finger. as he did right I invite them to perform all the miracles that he did. Why don't you copy and emulate all that? Right. Hmm? I mean, if you want to go by the stories, we have just so many stories about Krishna. Right? Every small aspect of his personality has been detailed, elaborated. Right. so so everything is available emulate everything right. why not emulate everything right. huh why are you always picking on that over why are you just picking on milk right and please remember where he was raised in a clan of shepherds milkmen milkmen yeah hmm what else would he do as a kid right. is krishna the grown one ever seen as advocating milk i'm asking does the shrimad bhagavad gita advocate milk consumption as a central tenet of krishna's philosophy no does it do that does it come anywhere close to that no 
is Sri Krishna even bothered about what you eat and all that? Is that what he is detailing to Arjun? No. 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 Hmm? But we don't want to read the Gita. We just don't love Krishna enough to read the Gita. What do we occupy ourselves with? The lore and the legend. And there we find something very convenient to our taste buds. Milk. Milk. It's just convenience. It's not merely convenience, let me please say. It's also a very cunning exploitation of the holy name of Sri Krishna. You are using the highest name just to achieve a very lowly purpose. What is your lowly purpose? You want to have lassi, you want to have ghee, you want to have milk and paneer. And to that end, you are exploiting the name of Sri Krishna. But what about when they say that we also want to conserve the culture or for example, I, uh, like one of the examples, I had a recent debate on Instagram where someone wrote back to me saying, what if uh, I am going to artificially inseminate the cow? We already discussed about artificial insemination, but he's like, let's keep the artificial insemination aside. I'm going to artificially inseminate the cow. But after that, when the cow becomes pregnant, first I'm going to let the baby drink all the milk. Whatever is left, a little bit I will take. I will love the cow. I will keep it with me and let it go till the end of life. Can I still drink milk? Or this is so utopian. <laughs> this, this fellow knows neither economics nor agriculture. First of all, the calf can have two genders. Right. Male and female. And female. Right? right. You can have the male calf, you can have the female calf. Right. The female calf is obviously useful. Right. It will become a cow. A milk producing machine. A milk producing machine. What do you do when a male is born? You slaughter it potentially. You have to slaughter it. Because the male is a good 200 kilograms heavier than the female. How does it gain all that weight? By eating. By eating. And who will feed him? You cannot feed him. Economics don't allow that. And there are not enough gaushalas or there are not enough people to obviously, take care of Obviously, obviously. And cows are cows. They will not preferentially give birth to females. Right. So, males will be born as per the natural order. Right. Huh? And when they are born, they are slaughtered. Let everybody know that. Right. Let everybody know that. There is no option but to slaughter them. And there are several products that come from a young calf's body. Some of them are used to make vaccines. Some of them go towards research. And a lot of that goes towards delicacies. Veal, which is one, white meat. Also, the leather is tender. And that is very expensive. Do you think the farmer will rather raise the calf and allow it to become a bull? That's a lot of bullshit. Yeah, that's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> no, completely, yeah, completely agree. So I think a lot of these arguments like Krishna said it or, you know, these things, I think they are, 
I think it's just around convenience and, and apathy to a great degree. I keep inviting everybody, please, please come to the Gita. And even if you want to make sense of the Puranic stories, you have to first understand the Gita. I've been trying that since so many years now, been a decade actually. Mostly what I find is apathy. But when it comes to just enjoying and interpreting the stories as per convenience, and by the way, people do not know too many stories either. It's not as if they are not reading the Gita, but are enamored with the Puranas. No, that's not the case. They don't read the Gita, and most of them also have not read the Bhagavad Puran. All that we know of is some 5 to 10 stories that have been circulating by word of mouth. Or, or we have seen those stories in, on the TV. On the TV. On the TV. Yeah. Huh? If I ask people, have you really gone through the Bhagavad Puran or the Harivansh Puran or two, three other uh, major Puranas out of the uh, 18 major ones? Uh, no. People won't even know the names. Just as I keep saying that people cannot uh, tell the names of three or four uh, important Upanishads. The same thing actually applies to Puranic literature as well. People will not know the names of uh, the Puranas either. But they know the stories. Some five stories. If you say you are a Hindu, you know some five stories about Krishna. And using those five stories very smartly, rather cunningly, you justify whatever you want to do. So, so I had this uh, question, uh, three years ago we had a daughter and it was of course through a vegan pregnancy. Uh, my wife has been a vegan for the last five years and we decided that when we wanted to have a kid that we would have a vegan pregnancy and we would raise the kid as a vegan. But when we were doing that or when we decided that we'll raise a kid as a vegan or we'll go through a vegan pregnancy, Again, there was a lot of pushback from my family, from my close relatives, some of them calling up and telling me, Kuntal, you are making a very big mistake. You are hedging the future of your uh, to-be kid. And what if, you know, something goes wrong? What if, you know, things kind of fall apart? And a lot of those kind of things. And even after our baby was born, they were like, no, please give the baby milk. The milk is a very required kind of a thing. And otherwise our baby will you know have issues and those kind of things they kind of continued and so there was a lot of kind of struggle with the family around this topic where where we want to be vegans and we are not trying to change you i mean if you want to change we are here to help and we are here to guide you but we as a family of three would like to kind of make our choice and be vegan and not harm anyone and not harm any other sentient being for our existence so how like what do we like i'm sure a lot of your audience would also be kind of in 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 a lot of these kind of dilemmas right where they are struggling with their family friends and how do we kind of i don't know how we are able to just suspend our common sense when it comes to these simple obvious things i mean the baby obviously does require milk her mother's milk right and nature has provided for it nature has her own intelligence Prakriti knows how to take care of her kids. Be it the human kid or the kids of the millions of other species that are there. They exist because they have been taken care of. Right? Right. Uh, Think of this. 
the atmospheric pressure is just about very rightly tuned with your blood pressure that's the kind of uh, consideration an invisible force has for you in fact the very concept of ishwar is nothing but prakriti prakriti herself has also been called as devi and also as ishwar so we we couldn't have been sitting here had the atmospheric pressure been any lower right huh right blood would have been sprouting out of our veins and noses and <laughs> we would be bleeding through <laughs> our mouths and all of the places right had the equally if the blood pressure if, if the atmospheric pressure increases we would collapse right the heart would not be able to tolerate the kind of resistance it would face face correct hmm? this body is a product of this universe hmm? and more specifically the planet earth we are provided for we are cared for we do not need to we do not need to act additionally so very smart hmm? so there is this beautiful one by the great saint poet tulsidas he said that the that he says it is done by the lord take that as prakriti he talks of the amar bel why are you so why are you so bothered and anxious amar bel bin mool ki pratipalat hai tahi so there is this creeper lata that supposedly has no roots and still it lives lives it lives by drawing nutrition from huge trees it just uh, attaches itself hmm, in a symbiotic way to their large trunks and survives and lives and it's an existing species i think i, I don't know the uh, details but get the drift please why are you so anxious why are you so anxious yeah. it it just happens i want to ask is there any species in the entire existence that thrives on others milk no not when you say milk means mammals right think of any other mammal that is built to live on and be nurtured on some other mammal's milk not one not a single one yeah then how are our bodies in requirement of buffalo or goat or cow milk yeah. hmm in fact it rings an alarm if that's not what nature prakriti wanted us to have is it not possible that it is actually harmful that when you consume any kind of milk other than your mother's milk it is actually harming your body is it not possible and to the extent i have read and i have tried to read in a fair bit of detail milk consumption is actually harmful 
because our bodies are really not designed to absorb digest metabolize beyond a certain age the kid has the enzymes that can break milk down the milk enzymes the lactose as you grow up you simply have no chemical inside to deal with the fluid called milk you are ingesting so what does what does it it do to you it remains undigested also it causes uh, a lot lot of diseases hmm? gastric problems flatulence <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and we have we have no dearth of intelligence in this country we are so smart when it comes to designing bridges writing codes <laughs> huh? even uh, sending rockets and uh, satellites yeah. uh, into the space and then into the orbits we are very smart people but when it comes to fundamental issues like these we just suspend our thinking faculty <laughs> is it not a question that even a 6 year old would ask huh? the kitten does not go to the female dog right <laughs> and that's an observation even a 6 year old girl would have there is the kitten and the kitten is not going to mama dog the kitten is going to mama cat right the lion can kill the camel but we will not find lion kids drinking drinking the lady camel's milk <laughs> never been seen never been seen right. if they are powerful enough they'll kill her right but in no situation are they going to milk her how are we then doing it continuously and uh, uh, never investigating what we are doing just because it happens to be a very old tradition right does that make it right does that make it useful ethics apart is there even any utility in it we don't want to ask these questions and it's it's a very surprising thing it's it's even to a point where if my daughter sometimes sneezes or has a mild fever huh. you know she has mild fever because she's a vegan yeah she is a vegan i'm like okay don't kids have fever don't kids sneeze don't it's their building immunity process is what i think it's called but this is how even to me right oh you had fever because you are a vegan oh but you didn't see that i had i didn't have fever for the last 5 years i just had fever right now so that's something that i keep kind of you know seeing that happens to vegans a lot where anything happens to us we are like almost living under a microscope all the time that something goes wrong veganism caused it so why is that in, in, in general when you have some feeling for the truth some respect for the truth firstly you have observations then you have arguments and then you have conclusions that's the right sequence right you have observations then you have arguments and then you have conclusions right but when you have no feeling for the truth all you want 
to respect and protect is your own shady ego then the sequence is reversed <laughs> you have a conclusion the conclusion is already there <laughs> you want to then build arguments to support your conclusion and also fabricate observations so that the argument may stand that's how usually the wrong kind of argumentation works and that's what we find in most debates irrespective of whether they are within the family on international fora within communities anywhere the ones who are debating are already deeply entrenched in their positions they are not discussing so that they may reach a fresh position so that they may discover unravel the truth no that's not the intention the intention is this is my opinion this is my position and i stick to this position because my ego loves this position because my conveniences are tied to this position because i am afraid if i quit this position something unthinkable may happen so i have all kinds of dubious reasons to stay at my position but still i choose my position i continue to do that and then i come up with arguments and i also then uh, you know very selectively may pick observations from here and there you see if you are if you are hellbent on seeing something you'll find that thing happening somewhere or the other the universe is vast right right if i want to prove that vegans remain unhealthy i'll definitely be able to locate 2 4 10 vegans somewhere who are unhealthy and i can pick them up very selectively and use that to establish what is already established in my mind right basically cherry picking cherry picking and this is just not the this is not a logician's uh, way this is the bullshitter's way this not <laughs> this is not how you uh, proceed through um, honest debate and uh, good logic this is simply bad logic hmm? one has to deal with the right sample sizes one has to uh, use statistical tools one has to bring out correlations and probabilities and then one may talk how are you able to uh, push your conclusion ahead with a sample size of 1 <laughs> or 1 and a half or 2 you know mrs joshi in the neighborhood now what does that solo case prove prove that yeah what's the probability of that happening let's 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 have some sense some some mathematics at least hmm? so and that's uh, a burden we all have to bear you see if you walk an unwalked path you would be scrutinized at every step people are just waiting to pounce at you you make one mistake and that's used to prove that your entire journey is fundamentally wrong i i, I to to that point i still remember in 
I submitted Everest on May 19th. And sure, it made some news. People were like, oh, first vegan submitted Everest and this, that. It went viral on social media. Not not very big deal. Two days later, another vegan, an Australian female doctor, died on Everest. Ah. And if you go today and just type Everest vegan death, hmm. there are like literally half a million articles on her. Hmm. Talking about that, uh, how a vegan died on Everest and that's why people should not be vegan hmm. or that vegans are weak. Hmm. And kind of, you know, just reflects back upon what you were saying is that how people will just choose that. They didn't write about me that, hey, that this vegan climbed on Everest hmm. and that there were 300 other non-vegans who have died on Everest. Hmm. But they didn't die because of their non-veganism. Hmm. They just died because of altitude sickness, hmm. which could be the case with this vegan as well. Right. It's, it's a common thing on mountains. So, no, but it was a good point. So, I wanted to kind of point out one thing that you just said about how our ego comes in the way and so is there a connection between us kind of surrendering to veganism or kind of moving towards veganism and kind of also working on kind of shedding that ego and and is there an, a, a spiritual angle to veganism or is vegan spiritualism is like what's the connection i think uh, there is a very fundamental connection in fact i have said on record that you cannot really be vegan without being spiritual and if you are a vegan and have not declared yourself to be spiritual then you are covertly spiritual even you might not know that you are a spiritual being but you are actually spiritual veganism i say is the most contemporary name for compassion in today's times what is veganism it's not it's not an ideology it's obviously not just a dietary plan right it's something that emanates from your core if you are really a human being how can you tolerate how can you justify to yourself that uh, you are killing others other sentient beings for reasons that are totally avoidable it's as simple as that right do i really have to kill or torture others just to live no i don't have to so that's veganism compassion karuna and therefore in india's context veganism is obviously nothing new you see had uh, shri krishna or the great sages of the upanishads or gautam buddha vardhaman mahavir had uh, they had similar conditions as prevail today in their times i am very very honestly and deeply sure they would have been huge proponents of veganism yes. it's just that in their times because human population was far far lesser and the relationship between man and nature was much 
more harmonious, in fact benevolent from man's side. Therefore, it was culturally okay to just take milk. And therefore, they did not speak too much on this issue. They said, well, there are more central issues to talk of. But in their times, had dairy industry been the same way as it is today, what do you think a Gautam Buddha have said the first thing? He would have said, no, no dairy please. Because that's the biggest horror on the planet today along with animal agriculture, animal slaughter, and all those things. Hmm? What do you think? When the, when the very central message of Mahavir is Ahinsa. Right. Huh? Karuna. Right. Had Mahavir been born today, alive today, would he have tolerated what is happening in the name of um, milk and dahi and paneer and uh, other things. He would have very strongly stood up against all of this. Hmm? So, India already has the groundwork done. We know compassion. We understand the centrality of compassion. And that is what has kept India vegetarian, largely vegetarian, for so long. At the time of independence, no more than 20-25% of India's population even touched meat. There were many reasons. And one reason is also that being so poor, they couldn't afford to touch meat. But still, there were reasons of uh, religion and compassion as well. Even today, the per capita meat consumption in India is among the lowest in the world. And that is not purely for economical reasons. To put things in perspective, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh have uh, almost similar per capita incomes as India. And still, the per capita meat consumption in Pakistan is three to five times higher than that in India. So money is not the thing. Right. Right? Per capita income in Pakistan is actually now significantly lower than that in India. And still the average Pakistani is consuming three to five times more meat than the average Indian. The same goes for the average Nepali also. Right. And that comes as a surprise to many people. Because Nepal is a Hindu country. Hindu country. Hindu country. Nepalis are consuming per capita almost as much meat as Pakistanis. Pakistan. Wow. That I didn't know. As much That's meat as the Pakistanis. Almost. Approximately. So there is something about uh, India that has kept it vegetarian. 30-35% hmm? of India's population is strictly vegetarian. Strictly vegetarian. Though that actually means lacto-vegetarian, so they do take dairy. Right. And you know, this this 30% vegetarian population, Indian, constitutes the bulk of the world's vegetarian population. True. So if there are 10 vegetarians, 
across the world, in the entire world, uh, six to eight of them are Indians. Now, how is that possible? Why does that happen? Who who did that? What's the reason? The reason is spirituality. Hmm? So you said, is veganism related to spirituality? Please see that spirituality is deeply related to veganism's distant cousin, vegetarianism. And spirituality is not related uh, directly actually to vegetarianism, it's related to compassion. Right. Compassion. And compassion made India vegetarian. Compassion is what is keeping India vegetarian. And compassion is also what will make India purely vegetarian. What is veganism apart from pure vegetarianism when it comes to diet? Please tell me. Because those who say they are vegetarians, they are not vegetarians. Right. Because uh, milk is not a vegetable. It's not vegetable, right. Shakahar. Huh. So milk not is shark. not milk is not a shark. Right. So those who say they are vegetarians, they are actually not vegetarians. Not vegetarians. Not vegetarians. Vegetarianism in some way suffices. Could we understand the real meaning of being a vegetarian? We wouldn't even have needed to coin a new term called vegan. vegan. Right. If we would just be all vegetarians and people would not have Let's to... be pure vegetarians. Right. Let's be pure vegetarians. And pure vegetarian means abstaining from everything that does not come from a plant or a tree. Right. Which means you cannot have your lassi, dahi and milk. Right. They don't come from plants. Right. So, if we could connect India more closely, more deeply to her spiritual core, veganism would be an organic fallout. It would just happen. It would just happen. Even without deciding to be vegan, people will become vegan. And that's what has happened to a lot of people associated with the foundation or recipients of the work of our mission. We get numerous stories every day where people have not even realized when they just dropped milk. It happened. It happened. Because if your consciousness is awakened, if you start thinking, if you start seeing that your ego and your tendencies and your habits are not really your friends, if you start seeing that, it becomes impossible to not to see that the stuff on your plate does not match with the stuff in your heart. In the heart there is compassion. Compassion. And on the plate there is cruelty. Cruelty. There is a dissonance. These two can't go together. Together. So the stuff on the plate drops. As simple as that. So that is, that's, that's what is spiritual veganism. And spiritual veganism, one of the words is redundant. We could simply say spiritual, spiritual and that would mean vegan. Right. To the extent that when I meet a spiritual person who is not vegan, <laughs> I can't help laughing. <laughs> Though it's a sad kind of laughter. <laughs> because I know what he is doing to a lot of sentient beings. How can you claim to be spiritual and have blood on your plate? 
right? The color of the blood might be white, white. but still blood. How can you say you are a spiritual being? You uh, you talk of elevating your consciousness. You talk of being a better person. Uh, you talk of being non-violent. You talk of being loving. You say you have wisdom. You say you understand life. And then you are just chewing at the paneer. Uh, how 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 can that how can these two go together? Mystery. So so, the more people turn spiritual, or are forced to turn spiritual, given the macro environment we are in and are coming to, the more veganism will become popular. If the earth has to survive. Veganism has to prosper. So, so I had two follow-up questions for you. So, one is, okay, I'm spiritual, but I'm going to become vegan. But if I am looking at paneer, it's just on my plate, but I'm still not making the connection where the paneer is coming from. So, I I know we discussed about people would think about cattle and all of those things, but a lot of times people may not. People may just think. Oh, I just bought it in a store. It was nicely packed in a plastic bag, and I got it. There's no cruelty behind because I'm not directly seeing the cruelty, or I'm not putting enough effort to see that cruelty. So, how do we kind of? So I understand the foundation is doing a lot of work around that, but how do we as lay people kind of? This argument would have been tenable twenty years back, right? When we didn't have so much social media yeah. and so much exposure. Not today. You are continuously scrolling your Instagram and Facebook feed. Right. It's impossible to not to have come across videos talking of animal cruelty and such things. Right. Hmm? There are there are so many organizations today right. trying to spread awareness, raise the levels of consciousness. Right. If someone says, "Oh, I didn't even know <laughs> right, right. that paneer is a product of cruelty," right. the fellow is lying. Right. You know. Right. You know. Right. Hmm? There are so many organizations that are uh, working day in day out. I can talk of my own. Right. A huge proportion of our funds has gone just towards raising awareness. Right. Publicity is what we are continuously doing. Right. If someone says he, you know, just on YouTube. to put things in perspective we have close to 10 crore unique users over the last 3 uh, months okay and that's just youtube wow that's youtube you add facebook and instagram and other media to it and that's and print media that's a bigger number so 10 crore people have seen what we want to t- say at least once right now how can you now claim that you have not seen it's just that you are being dishonest you have seen it and yet are deciding to pretend you haven't seen haven't seen it we are pushing the damn thing right to your face right how can you not see it right. obviously you have seen it right right we are not even allowing you to look the other way if you look the other way there is some other media some there other way. <laughs> 
Someone else talking about it. Someone else is talking about it. Or we ourselves are present on all media. What else are we doing all the time? Right, right. And we are, we are talking about it. In fact, from one of the prominent media platforms, the foundation's account got suspended multiple times just because we were talking of animals. <laughs> and it was a Chinese controlled thing. They didn't want unpleasant stuff on their platform. Additionally, meat consumption happens to be somehow an important part of the Chinese ethic. So every time we would post something regarding this, uh, first of all, there would be shadow banning right. and then the account itself would be gone. Wow. It's another matter that that platform itself is now gone from India. I'm talking of TikTok. Right. <laughs> I realize. So we have, uh, we have paid the price. We are continuously doing that. We fully well know that when we post animal uh, rights uh, videos, they do not uh, become very popular. So in that sense, again, we pay a price. We have to promote them harder. We have to push them with far more, uh, far bigger amounts of money. So we are reaching out and people know. Let now nobody come up with a straight face and say, but I didn't know. I didn't know, right. You know, sir, you know. You know. Unless you are, as they say, living in a cave or under a rock, <laughs> you know. Right, right. And the, the, the second question was, in our last panel discussion, you had started the, the conversation by saying that we are in middle of a mass extinction right yes, now. Yes, yes, obviously. And, and you had also mentioned that there's nothing we can really do about it. Uh, do you think there's anything we can do through veganism? At least as lay people, can we make, make some tangible See, please understand. Steps? Where has all this carbon come from? When we're talking of the sixth mass extinction phase, we already are into. It is a carbon dioxide led thing, right? Right. And uh, of the previous five mass extinctions, three were caused by the same reason, carbon dioxide. So there's nothing new. There's nothing you can contest. <laughs> there's nothing you can doubt the validity or prospects of. We know what happens when carbon dioxide in the atmosphere rises. Right. It has happened before and thrice. Right. And it's happening for the fourth time. Where is all this carbon coming from? Who is emitting so much carbon in the environment? Who is doing this? You have to understand. It's the darkness inside our minds that's emitting all the carbon. And I understand it could be sounding too poetic. But please stay with this. Carbon emissions are coming from our ceaseless consumption. Yep. The more we consume, the more we emit carbon. Right. Hmm? In fact, everything that we take as important, everything that we take as a supplier of happiness is very high on the list of things that emit carbon. Hmm? Right. 
why do we want to endlessly consume be it uh, a house a car the world human beings or animals right we want to consume them because we we simply have ignorance within we are born with an innate dissatisfaction and we think that a lot of consumption will take care of that dissatisfaction that's a simple reason right nothing very complicated very spiritual in that right, right? right. you're not feeling good what do you do purchase on amazon <laughs> purchase something on amazon right or you go watch a movie right or you go eat something out out right so and when do you feel the happiest when you have a new four wheeler that's when you are congratulated a lot right right or when you have gone to the new exotic tourist destination you post your pics right. you are supposed to be happy right and others are supposed to congratulate right and that's what happens and that's where all the carbon comes from i'm talking facts not just poetry right this is fact carbon comes from from air travel carbon comes when when you when you raise your comfort and convenience level yep carbon emission is the highest in developed world and even among the residents of the developed world the top 1% to 5% in terms of uh, economics contribute way beyond their numbers the more ambitious you are the bigger a chaser of money you are the more you are pushing the planet towards mass extinction that's what is happening it's it's as simple and as obvious as that and see how how wonderful it is that some people will still say oh i didn't know oh i didn't know you didn't know and each of us are micro mirror images of the ones who are contributing the maximum to climate change it's just that they have the resources the wherewithal to actually add a lot of carbon to the atmosphere we don't have so many resources but we have the same ambition ambition we want to be like them hmm? they have a personal jet right hmm? and you have reports available public reports read of celebrities using personal jets to cover a distance of 30 miles 40 miles 50 miles because because they can ah that's a whim that's a quick because i can else how do i justify my life right why else am i earning so much the common man cannot match that what does he do he has to go to jaipur from delhi he takes a flight right the highway is great usually sometimes it's clogged otherwise it's good but then sometimes flights are also delayed right yeah. sometimes flights can in fact just return to the base given that the delhi jaipur sector experiences heavy fog in winters 
but that's what some 250 kilometers or something right and people want to still so it's it's the darkness in the mind that thinks that you are born to consume and consumption will make you happy the fundamental philosophy of mankind is flawed we do not know who we are and why we are born that's the problem you are born suffering so the first thing that comes to your mind is pursuit of happiness and the market tells you that you can have happiness through consumption come buy my stuff it will make you happy and it does make you happy for a while it's just that happiness is in the first place no cure for suffering your problem is not that you do not have happiness your problem is that you have suffering and happiness is no remedy first of all happiness is no remedy secondly happiness that comes from consumption far from being a remedy is a problem is a huge huge monster mass extinction yep for the planet itself for the planet itself and all that because we are spiritually illiterate because we do not know who we are in the first place so all we want to do is binge binge and binge what do you think a person does once he gets some money you didn't have money you were sad all the time now you have a job and some money what do you do with that do you use it to uh, improve yourself to raise your inner levels to become a better person to refine your mind do you use your money for that purpose no you go to the market binge splurge i have money i can i can throw money Uh, let me have that one and this one this one this one, this one, this one, this one. why because i am a suffering being i am suffering being who is also ignorant so he does not know why he suffers right and that is what has led to this mass extinction that we are into and now here i would be empathetic if someone says i do not know about mass extinction yes because that's not something that uh, uh, any media is highlighting exactly. mainstream media would obviously never do that right but even social media is not taking this thing up we have already entered the sixth mass extinction phase and uh, <clears throat> i said that yesterday the the temperatures in india within the next 10 to 15 years would cross the human survivability limit there was even recently a un report i think that came up or or a, i think an economic report that came up saying that india is one of the first countries that's going to be likely badly affected badly affected by heat waves mostly. by heat waves roads will melt and the poor will bear the brunt because they'll be the ones they are they, you see in india still 75 to 80% of employed people do work that involves exposure to the sun yeah huh? and that does not mean that you have to be a field laborer right or a, a laborer in a in a plant or at a construction site right 
you could as well be a salesperson. Salesperson, yeah. you are still exposed to the heat. You could as well be an auto driver yeah. or a fruit vendor. Yeah. Huh? Seventy-five to eighty percent of the population is in jobs that involve exposure to direct sun, and they'll be killed. What's pathetic is nobody would know the the right reason to blame. Somebody would blame the government. Somebody would blame the luck. Or the heat wave. Or the, or the heat or... wave. The floods. Somebody would simply say, "Oh, it's a chance thing." Right. We would not know that the fundamental reason, the murderer, is human ignorance. We did that. There is no chance in that. It's not that the system is responsible. The individual human being is responsible. The choices that we have been making since long, our pursuit of happiness, the way we think that more is better, hmm? stuff our homes with with furniture, with this, with that. Do not think about utility. Just think about quantity. So even if like. So even if you are a vegan, but if you are binge consumers, it is still we are not spiritual at that's all. That's what. That's what. That's what. That's what. That's what. Therefore, veganism has to be a far wider term. First of all, veganism cannot be uh, uh, a dietary thing only. Right. I don't take dairy, so I'm a vegan. Not possible, sir. Not possible. Right. Veganism also cannot just be about uh, using vegan products right? like non-leather uh, belts and shoes and clothes and such things. Right. It has to exceed that as well. Veganism has to be a certain philosophy of life. And if you don't have that philosophy of life, just not eating curd etc. cannot make you vegan. Right. I think of Vegans who happily have three kids. How are you a vegan? Don't you know that when you procreate, it is the grossest kind of cruelty towards animals and the planet, and the entire planet. How can you have three kids and you are celebrating? Yeah, and, and 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 you know. We are creating consumers, basically. You are creating consumers. The f- the fellow that is born would need roads, would need hospital, would need school, would need a lot of stuff to consume throughout his life, and would in his life procreate, procreate and, and create, create more consumers. More consumers. So giving birth is is the mightiest act of cruelty today. And yet we have vegans who, you know, sending congratulatory messages to Didi. Didi, congratulations. Such a cute bundle of joy. <laughs> and you are a vegan. How, how is it possible? Hmm? So, veganism, antinatalism, minimalism, they have to go together. And at the root of all of them is simple spirituality, which you could also call as common sense. Agreed.